0: Happy New Year 2017. Wow. Can you believe it? 2017. If you're like me, there have been times in your life where you thought you'd never make it to the next year. I've had those years. I've had those times. So I'm grateful. Uh, As we heard earlier in the service, great is the faithfulness of our Lord. His mercies are new every morning. They're new in a new year. So Happy New Year. And I, you know, how great is it that we get to spend some time in worship together as a church family on the very first day of this new year? I think that's great. And I pray that this will set the tone for the year that lies ahead of us in our lives and in our church. So as we kick off uh, this new year, I'd like us to look at a passage of scripture that has sometimes been called the Jesus Creed. The Jesus Creed, this is one of the most pivotal passages in the Gospels, because it summarizes the entire Christian life in just a few words. And I can't think of a better creed to live by uh, in the new year, in the coming year. So let's take a look at these verses. Our text is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and just verses 28 through 31 follow along as I read. This is the word of God. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus is telling us, in effect, this is it. The kind of life that God wants you to live and is calling you to live can be summed up in these few words. And everything else, in a sense, is commentary. It comes down to loving God with all you've got and loving others the way you love yourself. So we'll be talking about this for a few minutes this morning, living by the Jesus Creed this year. These greatest of all commandments, they nail down four Essential truths that we need to put into practice in our lives as followers of Jesus. So let's take a look at them. First of all, this Jesus Creed reminds us how great God is. How great God is. That might seem like a no-brainer, but isn't that usually the first thing we forget when we get ourselves into trouble? How great God is. Verse 29, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. These were very familiar words to those listening to Jesus that day. Uh, This ancient creed is called the Shema, which means hear in Hebrew. Uh, We sang that a little bit earlier. Thank you, Ben and team. And it's the words that you see behind me running on this panel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. It's the first prayer Jewish children were taught. It's repeated morning and night by observant Jews. And the purpose of the prayer is to proclaim that the Lord, Yahweh, is the only God. He's the one. And that we're being called to live in the light of that, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is saying that in everything we do, Every day of our lives, every decision we make, we need to remember that God is the one. That God is first and foremost. He's the center, not only of our lives, but he's the center of the universe. One theologian put it like this, the basic human problem is that everyone believes that there is a God and I'm it. (laughs) The Shema reminds us that this is not the case. Christian author Philip Yancey tells about scaling a mountain in Colorado one time, a mountain with an elevation of 14,000 feet. It's a little taller than our Pocono Mountains nearby. Uh, After trekking upward for hours and hours, his party left the dirt, the grass, and the trees behind and began climbing these huge chunks of granite, testing each rock carefully for stability uh, before putting their weight into it. They finally came to a ridge and stopped to catch their breath. Looking down, Yancey could see two tiny dots at the edge of the timber line. What were those? Were those rocks? And then one of the dots moved, and Yancey realized they were climbers. He realized that just hours before, he was one of those little dots down there. And he said, you get a tiny fractional glimpse of what God must see all the time. I get a sense of this every time I fly. Maybe you do, too. Looking out the airplane window, 30,000 feet below, you see millions of, of tiny, barely distinguishable specks. What are they? They're houses. They're houses. And they each represent lives that are in no way connected to mine. So it's foolish for me to live as if I were the center of the universe, when in reality, all that I've tried to build for myself is just another speck on the landscape. God is big, and I am small. My point is that each of us needs to remember that the world revolves around none of us. We're just specks and dots. God is the center. He is the Lord. He is the one. How great God is. First and foremost, he's got to be the foundation and the focus of our lives. So in this new year, what matters most is not success or happiness or wealth or good health or even good relationships. What matters most is one's connection to the God of the universe. How great God is. So this creed begins where it ought to begin, with God. With the proclamation that God is the center, God is the one. He is everything. And all that is meaningful comes from him and returns to him and revolves around him. Do you want a creed To live by. Put God first. He is the one. Got myself a little. There we go. I'll be right with you. (laughs) I'm trying something new with my notes, and it's it needs work. So, God is the one, put God first. Here's the second essential truth that Jesus is also teaching us in these few words, and that is how basic love is. How great God is, how basic love is. What's our essential priority as followers of Jesus? Is it engaging in culture wars? Pursuing a political agenda? Fighting the ills of society? These things have their very important place. And historically, Christians have always been on the forefront of those fights for the rights of others. And these things can and should be discussed and debated and lived out in the light of God's word. But we don't want the most remarkable thing about the church to be that we're against certain things or that we vote a certain way. Let's not lose sight of our most essential priority, the, the basic call in our lives. In the words of Jesus, John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he says it again in today's text, love your neighbor. First he talks about God and loving God, but then he says love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fundamental priority for the followers of Jesus. Love is where the life of righteousness begins. Love is the soil in which the life of righteousness grows. So Jesus is saying, love God first. Our problem is that we often you know, don't start there. We, we lose that starting point so easily. And I think often what we do, if you're like me... We think first about trying to obey God, trying to submit to God, trying to surrender to God's will. Those things are important. Those things come. But those things are hard. What if we started with loving God? That's where the Shema starts. That's where the Jesus Creed starts, with loving God. I think parents understand this. If you have children... Do you want children who merely obey, who merely do what you tell them to do and want them to do? I know some days you would settle for that in a heartbeat. I know. <laughs> I had kids too. <laughs> but, but ultimately, if you let it sit long enough with you, you know that ultimately that's not – you don't want to settle for that. That's part of it. But you really want your children to grow up in a relationship of love. You want your children to know that you love them. You want – your children to love you. You want your children to cherish that relationship of love that you have with each other. If a child grows up and never sees a parent except as an authority figure, what is going to happen when that child is grown and out of the house? What happens then? The relationship can easily become distant, superficial. But when a child cherishes a parent, long after the days of do your homework, clean your room, be home by 11, when those days have long passed, the relationship can continue to exist and to grow. If you want God to have his proper place in your life, start with love. Philip Yancey put it like this in his book Prayer. Does it make any difference? He said, I believe that life with God should seem more like friendship than duty. That's right. That's the heart of it. Look at God first. Try this in this new year. Look at God first as the one you get to love above all others. Not merely the one you obey. Obey above all other authorities. That's true too. But don't start there. Does it blow your mind that God loves you in Christ? Or has it become kind of ho-hum and you kind of yawn when you hear that? You know, this should blow our minds. That, that you are on the receiving end of a Heavenly Father's love, that you haven't deserved even one little bit. If that blows your mind, as it should, then loving Him back, it, it's not really on the list of chores you have to do. It's not like that. You get to love Him. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a privilege. And if you love him, obeying him is no longer a big obstacle. When you love God, it's not a chore to do his will. It becomes a pleasure. As the psalmist says, I delight to do your will, O God. So love is the most basic, the most fundamental Christian value. It's square one. I think if we don't have love, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, we're just making a lot of noise, we're just kicking up a lot of dust. You know, if we don't have love, we're just playing around. We're just playing at religion. Do you want a creed to live by this year? Make love your top priority. The Christian life begins with love, grows through love, loving God, loving others... And this brings us to the third essential truth that this creed gives us. And that is how valuable people are. How valuable people are. Love your neighbor. It's it's just right there below, love your God. (laughs) Love Love your neighbor. How valuable people are. People who claim to love God are capable of doing horrendous things. Let's not kid ourselves. This is the dynamic behind terrorism. Extremists claim they're pleasing God with their violence. But let's not be too quick to point our fingers at another religion. Let's take a look at our own family of faith. Many people claim to love Christ, yet have contempt for others. Let the Spirit of God search out your heart. You say you love God, but you hate your brother? sister, certain categories of brother or sister. Maybe they don't express it with violence, but it's contempt nonetheless. Many who self-identify as Christians look down on others because of the color of their skin or their social, educational, or financial level, or their foreign accent, or their political beliefs, or their age, or their technicolor uh, struggles with sin, or simply because they're not one of us, sin divides. That's what it does. It divides, it judges, and it destroys. Jesus makes it clear, people, people matter. You can't be righteous without this core value. And it's so easy to forget. We get caught up in what we're doing. We get get a, caught up in a, Our church, our programs, needs, services. We can get caught up in our personal uh, and family needs and issues and we forget about this basic call to love, to serve others in love. A research company conducted what became a really classic experiment in at uh, Princeton University back in 1973. A group of seminary students was told that they were to go across the campus to the chapel and preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan. You know, the guy who who finally helps the one who was beat up and close to death on the side of the road. As part of the research, the students were told that they were late and they needed to hurry. As a further part of the research, unknown to the students, an actor was hired to play the role of a suffering victim. He laid on the ground in their path, coughing uncontrollably in order to appear to be having some kind of health crisis. Ninety percent of the seminary students ignored the needs of the suffering person in their haste to get to the chapel in time to preach their sermon on the Good Samaritan. (laughs) The study said on several occasions, a seminary student going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim as he hurried away. What does that do to you? What that does to me, I I just say, ouch. I just see myself in that. I I just say, ouch. And I wonder, how many people do we pass by in our hurry? You know, I'm important, and I have important things to do. Ouch. Ouch. How many needs do we overlook? How often do we turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to those around us? Because, you know, it would just be so inconvenient to do otherwise. I'm so guilty of this. And this isn't merely about helping those in need, although that's certainly part of it. It's really about recognizing the value of every human life. That everyone matters, everyone is important, from the womb to the tomb. Everyone matters. Even those with whom we disagree. Even those who make themselves our enemies. We are called to love them because God loves them. We're called to do good to them whenever and wherever we can. So that they can see a living example. Even if it's a small, slight example. It's a real living example of the goodness and mercy of God, our Heavenly Father. That they might give praise to him. It's so easy to just pass people by and not give them time, or pay any attention to them. Let me tell you a story. Some of you know that Shelley and I use our home to host travelers on Airbnb and homestay. And this past year, in the month of May, um, there was a young man named Bernard, who was coming from Singapore, and he arranged to stay in our house for four or five days. And you know, he was just a house guest. We met him, we were friendly, he came and went. He was coming for some military training. He was in the military in Singapore, and then to take some holiday. So we would see him, he would be in and out of the house, and then on uh, Saturday night, when he was with us, he came into the the living room and he said, he said, excuse me, I wonder if there's a church nearby that I could go to tomorrow. I feel that I need to go to church. And Shelly and I just kind of looked at each other. And I said, well, what did you have in mind? There are many churches nearby. And we chatted for a, a little while, and it was evident that he didn't have anything really in mind. And I said, well, um, we're going to church tomorrow, and we'd love to have you come with us if you would like to come to our church. I'm one of the pastors of the church. He said, I will come with you to church tomorrow. <laughs> so the next morning he came, and he sat right over there, right about where Carol is. And my heart was so full that day. I, I was so proud of you as a church family. So many of you greeted him, welcomed him, um, had conversation with him. And I noticed, I noticed that he was really moved, uh, sometimes to tears, as that service, as the worship service was going on. And then when the service was over, he left very quickly. Um, there were some sights he wanted to see before he left. And we didn't see him the rest of the day, Sunday, uh, in the afternoon, or the evening. And then Monday morning, I was sitting in the living room. And again, he he came into the living room and he said, excuse me. He said, I would like to consult with you about Christianity. (laughs) I said, certainly. And he sat down on the couch and we talked. Here is a man that I had in my head. He's He's just, you know, he's just in one of our rooms for a few days. And then here we are sitting on the couch and just talking about the things of God and what it means to trust in Christ, what it means to follow Jesus. It was so evident to me that God was was at work in his life way before he got here. And one of the things we said to each other as we ended, I encouraged him to find a church in Singapore when he returned, and um, we exchanged uh, information uh, so that we could keep in touch. And... um, You know, one of the things we said was it's just so evident that God God brought him halfway around the world so that we could meet each other and we could sit in my little living room in Philadelphia and talk about Jesus. So we kept in touch after he left. Every now and then we would text each other on WhatsApp. And and then I got a text from him two weeks ago on a Sunday morning as I was arriving here uh, at church. And I'm going to read this text to you. It says, hi, Pastor John, thank you for touching my life. I would like to share with you that I got baptized in Living Praise Presbyterian Church today. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, thank you so much, and I look forward to meeting you and Shelley again to share God's grace and goodness in my life till we meet again with love your brother in Christ, Bernard, and I just here and he attached a photo, uh, and there he is getting baptized in Singapore by way of Philadelphia. <laughs> it was such a lesson to me that God wanted me to love this young man who I didn't even know, the way that Jesus would love him, and often I miss that call. I hope I learned something through this conversation and this friendship with Bernard? Do you want a, a creed to live by? Look for ways to help others to, just to be available, to just to be available to them. Because in helping them, in being available to them, you affirm their God-given dignity as those who bear the image of God. And you put God's love on display that they may see it and receive it as well how great God is, how basic love is, how valuable people are. And and here's a fourth and final essential truth I want us to see in Jesus' statement here before we go home. And that is how priceless you are. How priceless you are. I have to tell you, there's someone I've always been impatient He's a person I've I've often had a hard time forgiving. He never quite measures up to the standard I expect from him. So I remind him of that every now and then. Not always. I try not to nag him, but every now and then when he needs it. And when he fails, I tell him, you know, this isn't the first time you've done this. And when he promises to do better, I say, that's what you said last time. Let me tell you, this guy can be completely exasperating sometimes. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? It's you, of course. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. It's me. It's me. It's the man in the mirror I see every morning as I'm combing the hair he has left, right? I am that man. I am that person. I have a lot of trouble with me. And I suspect you do, too. Here's what I've learned. Here's some of what I've learned. If I won't be patient with myself, it's hard to be patient with others. If I don't see value in my life, many times I struggle with that. If I don't see value in my life, it's hard to see value in the lives of others. If I don't have enough love to take care of myself, it's hard to have the love to take any care of others. See, I have to learn this on the home front, if you will if I'm going to be able to extend it to others. It's a healthy way to live. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't it striking that he didn't simply say, love your neighbor? He put a condition, a qualifier on there to help us understand. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have trouble with that. We wish he had left that out. But there's an assumption in his words, and we need to just look at that squarely. There's an assumption in his words that you will have a basic love and respect for yourself, for your own life. That you will not despise or abuse yourself, but will do the things necessary for your welfare, for you to survive, and hopefully even thrive. So if we're supposed to love our neighbor the way we love ourselves, in that basic way, and we don't love ourselves in that way, where does that leave our neighbor? Our neighbor then is in trouble. So my point is this. You matter. You can boil it down to that. You matter. You matter to the God who made you. You matter to Jesus, who came to save you. You matter. Your life matters. Treat yourself with respect, with love, because your life is a gift from God. You did not create yourself. God created you in love. Your life is a gift from God. Of course, there's a balance to be maintained in the Christian life. On the one hand, you're not to think too highly of yourself, as Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 3. Pride stinks. Pride stinks. It stinks in the nostrils of God and others. But on the other hand, you need to see yourself as God sees you. Do you know how he sees you? Yes, he sees your sin. But he sees you as valuable, priceless, just like everyone else. You're not in a different category. He made you. He loves you. Even in your sin. Even in your brokenness. When you feel most broken. Even in all those times when you are less than lovable. Are are there ever times when you're less than lovable? I I know I have those times in my life. Sometimes i bumped into you in, in those times, right? It's ugly. So I want to invite you to join the Broken Sinners Club this year. If you haven't gotten your membership... In the Broken Sinners Club, our members, I want you to know, are deeply loved by the God who came for us, who loved us and came to find us, to seek us, to save us, to forgive us, to make us alive, to make us whole in Jesus. Welcome to the Broken Sinners Club. It's the place to be. We have a Savior. We have a Savior for you. One one Christian psychologist put it like this, and and this was helpful to me. It kind of turned things around a bit for me. Jesus said that we're to love others as we love ourselves. In order to do this, we first have to learn to love ourselves as we know we should love others. Let that just marinate a little bit. In order to do this, we first have to learn to love ourselves as we know we should love others. That's helpful. Not love in some sappy, you know, self-centered way. No. But it means being patient with yourself, forgiving yourself, being honest with yourself, tell yourself the truth, extending grace to yourself, treating yourself with kindness, give yourself a break. I want to invite you to try something. Make a list of all the people you are not supposed to love. Okay, you can start that right now. Just write on your sermon notes page. Start making a list of all the people you are not supposed to love. You're writing furiously, right? <laughs> Who is on that list? Is there anyone on that list? See, there shouldn't be. There shouldn't be, should there? But my question for you is this. Are you on that list? Have you put yourself on that list of people you're not supposed to love? Maybe you're the only one on your list of those you are not supposed to love. If so, if you put yourself on that list, just remember that of all the people you are supposed to love, you are one of them. (laughs) You are one of them. You don't do anyone any good by beating yourself up, putting yourself down. If you do that to yourself, you're going to do it to others. Most of it will be internal, not seen by others, but it will take a toll on you. And it will certainly be felt by others because it's still, even if it's internal, it's deadly and it's crippling. If you want to develop a creed to live by, then learn how to love that person you are, the person God so loved that he sent his one and only son, that you would not perish. That's how priceless you are in the eyes of God, that you would not perish in your sin but have eternal life. The Bible says God is love. That's how God reveals himself at the core. God is love. If that's true, then the heart of the gospel, this good news about Jesus, our Savior and our King, that we believe, the heart of that gospel is love. And that's what this Jesus Creed is all about. Love God. Love others. And please include yourself. God comes first because he's the center of the universe. Not you, not me, God. The foundation of your relationship with God and your relationship with others is love. Love as he has loved you at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where we learn what love is all about. We love because he first loved us. Once you've been loved by the God of the universe, Wow, that changes everything. We love, not because we're great lovers by nature. We're not. We're haters by nature. That's what sin does. But we can love because he first loved us. Where there's forgiveness, where there's transformation through the gospel, we can love because he first loved us. That's a simple yet profound creed to live by as we launch into a new year. Loving God, loving people as God has loved you first and loved you best in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This morning, uh, we get to celebrate this amazing love that God has poured out upon us in Christ.